okay to stay there. Our goal as a church is not to conform to some mold of Christianity, to showing up the church expecting it's just going to go the way we always thought it would go. This, this is to be a pleasing place for God to dwell. Our plans can get totally reordered at his move, at his touch. So we want to bless what he's doing. Get behind him. What we do know is that he loves to bless his people with his word. Um, so we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 3, recognizing that we got some guests with us. What I want to do is just kind of fill you in on the context. So we're going to read Galatians chapter 3. We're going to go all the way to verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 14. As you're turning there, uh, kiddos 5 to 10, right? They're heading up. Is that right? Okay. So everyone's readjusted. This is not to get in the way of worship, by the way. Okay, we're not stopping where we've been. That heart posture that you've just had before, we're not stopping. This is where God wants to speak to us, get his word into us. He inhabits the praises of his people. That is, he draws near to us. But then worship always becomes this mutual activity as we lift our voices to him. He inhabits the praises of his people and he comes with his pregnant word to say, here child, here's what you need today. Here's what you need to remember of mere. Here's, here's again bread for the soul, so to speak. So here we are again feasting on his word. Galatians chapter 3. We're actually going to be covering verses 10 through 14. I'll try to summarize some things with the way time has gone today. But I do want to read the full context starting in verse 1. So Galatians 3, verse 1. Paul says to the Galatians, remember, O foolish Galatians. Right? He, he, he's putting them kind of on trial. He says, things have not been right with you guys. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. So he says, let me ask you only this, these rhetorical questions, he's getting up in their grill and he's saying, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, children of God. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The gospel, the good news of Jesus was actually preached to Abraham in seed form, so to speak, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith 
are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And here's the focus that we're giving to to this morning. For all who rely then on the works of the law are under a what? Curse. Curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by what? Faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. What a text. Where we've been as a church over the last so many weeks is we've been emphasizing the big Jesus. Jesus is a big Jesus. You can't divide him up. He's not some sort of additive to our lives, a little extra octane in the tank. He's just not there to make you a better you. Remember, the true Jesus, the comprehensive Jesus, the Lord of all, the good news is this, that he demands your death. He demands that you would place all of you upon the altar, so to speak, of all that he is. So Paul would say earlier in this chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ. I have such a big Jesus, I can't divide him up, I can't merely add him to my life. He is so great and so consequential that I have to give all I am to him. I am crucified with Christ. So that now it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. His spirit is in me. Christ himself lives through me. It is my life, so to to speak, but it is Christ now on display through all of my life. It's all of me for all of him. So like we've said over the last so many weeks, if you're coming to church just to get a little bit of Jesus, like we said, if you're coming to church as a grocery store of grace, picking up a few things for the week, you know, just to throw, I feel like I'm, you know, eating some of this this week and doing that this week, you know. If if you're coming just to pick things off the shelf, so to speak, grace off the shelf, you got the wrong kind of Jesus. You don't pick and choose. It's all of him for all of you. You come this morning not to a bargaining table, not to a grocery store. What do I feel like this week? No, you come to die at the altar. That's what church is, by the way. We come again to throw ourselves. Okay, Lord, ah, man, I took back my will this week in different ways. Well, here I am to bring all that back and throw it upon the altar. Here I am, Lord, in my brokenness. Here I am, all of me for all of you. We can't divide Jesus up. He is too big. He is too consequential. Here's what the enemy then wants, Christian. He wants you to resort to a small Jesus which equals a powerless Christianity. A little pocket-sized Jesus. Ain't got nothing over the enemy. 
If you just demote Jesus down to this little figurine, right, who is to kind of serve your hopes, your dreams, what you want for the week, man, the enemy's got, he's bewitched you, verse 1. He's got you under a spell. So what Paul has done in this particular section of Scripture, he's pointed the, the Galatians back to this big Christ Christianity. He has appealed to their experiences that they've had in the Spirit, these powerful moments, these ecstatic conversions, these miracles that they've seen by the Spirit. That came by faith in a really big Jesus. Why are you abandoning that? Why are you resorting down to the small Christ Christianity? Why are you dividing him up? Why are you treating him as though he's supposed to serve you? It's also then that Paul goes on to appeal to the storyline of Scripture. Scripture has always been about the gospel. Folks, it's always been the plan of the Father to win us to himself as adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's always been. He didn't just last week think, hey, man, I should probably uh, do something about this. Right? It's always been his plan. You go all the way. That's why Paul goes all the way back to Abraham. It's always been God's plan that the gospel, the good news of a really big Jesus would be that which wins you into the family of God to know the freedom of the love of the Father. Do you know that? The love of the Father is a world of freedom, folks. It's a world of freedom. I don't have to worry about what you think of me, what you think of me. I live in the good of the security of his love. A love that can't be diminished. A love that ain't going to wane. A love isn't coming and going. A love that just isn't there but kind of absent like we kind of know when it comes to fathers. This is a love that is always true, always amazing, always there. It's always been his plan before the foundation, before you were even you, to arrange all of redemptive history that his son would be given to secure you to himself. Revelation chapter 13 will say, it was before the foundation of the world that Christ was slain. That'll throw your mind in a loop. Like what? It was always as good as done according to God's purposes and his plan. That he would send his son to make you his child. That's a love that isn't just kind of off the cuff generosity. That's sacrificial. That's intentional. It always has been according to his sovereign purposes to love you. Paul is saying to the Galatians, you're going to walk away from that? You're going to walk away from that big Jesus who won you the love of the Father? (laughs) You're going to walk away from this big Jesus who brings about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? What do we got when we gather together if we don't have that? I don't want to do church. Right? But it's the enemy. And it's the natural drift of the Christian life. Right? Where we begin to just kind of drift away to the small. We kind of know how Christianity works. We come and go and we kind of get what to say and what to do and how to work this thing. And before you know it, you've made Jesus into this small supplemental Jesus. I got my life and Jesus is just a part of it. 
And what we're doing is we're abandoning the very power of the Spirit and the love of the Father that Jesus Christ won for us. Paul's saying, don't give up on the big Jesus. It's all of you for all of him. Get back to the altar, not a bargaining table. Back to the altar. But now Paul moves on to make more of the same argument, just from a different kind of direction. And his kind of main idea, and this is kind of Christian cliche, but oh, let's get past the cliche to the stuff, right? Only a big Christ can reverse the big curse. Only a big Christ can reverse a big curse. So the Apostle Paul has argued for this big Jesus. Again, from kind of a positive standpoint. Man, you were given the power of the Spirit. You are given the love of the Father through Jesus. Don't move on from that. Just trust in that big Jesus. But now, Paul works from a negative standpoint in verses 10 through 14. He steps, if you will, into the shoes of the Galatians. Remember what the Galatians are doing. They are adding to Jesus. Jesus evidently isn't enough. They've minimized him and saying, now we need circumcision, we need Old Testament law to truly be justified, to be made right with God. And so they are saying, once again, to be truly saved, to be truly made right with God, we need Jesus, but we also need this law. Jesus plus law. So Paul then entertains this idea. He takes it for a test drive, so to speak, right? And he doesn't even get the key in the ignition before it's like, what you're doing doesn't work, right? Here's why. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a what? Curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. And what? Do them. You got to abide by them. You got to do them. And this is from actually Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. It's the Old Testament law. So what he's doing, he's actually using the Old Testament law to show them if you're going to trust, if you will, in the law, it ain't going to do anything but curse you. The law itself demands, according to Deuteronomy 27, it demands absolute perfection. It demands nothing less than an absolute perfect application and anything less than perfection is a curse. It only amounts to your condemnation. It only amounts to the judge saying, you're guilty. This law can't function, in other words, the way you want it to. It can't add anything to you and it certainly can't add anything to Christ. The law is a condemning instrument. It can establish your righteousness. It can only... Establish your guilt. Just take, let's take a little drive through the Ten Commandments. You know, classic way of evangelism. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yeah, yeah, yeah been there, guilty. All right, so guilty. Of, have you ever dishonored your mother and father? Yeah. yeah, been there, okay. Have you ever murdered? And remember, Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Yeah, yeah we've been there, right? So we are, yeah, 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 we're, we're, we're done. Have we ever committed adultery? And Jesus, once again, says, if you've had lust in your heart, you've committed, okay, so we're all, and by the way, James will say, if you got one aspect of the law wrong, you get it all wrong. You failed the whole thing. Or we could go to the great Shema, 
Deuteronomy 6. Have you loved the Lord with everything that you are? We've fallen short, haven't we? The law can't establish my righteousness. It only proves my guilt. Right? That's the way it functions. And by the way, the, the law then doesn't become this bad thing. It's a means of grace. Right? Not to establish your righteousness, to say, aren't you great? But it's God's way of saying, child, you're not right. Own up to it. You've fallen short. The law is this condemning instrument. It can't save. It only condemns. Man is under a curse, Paul is saying. But then Paul goes, verse 11, keep following. And he says that the righteous live by faith. Faith in a big Jesus. Faith in a big Messiah. Right? And again, he's quoting from Habakkuk 2, verse 4. So again, it's the Jewish Bible that he's kind of appealing to. He appeals, he's already appealed to the beginning of the storyline. Remember Abraham? Abraham, you know, believed and was counted unto him as righteousness. Now he's going to Habakkuk, which is at the end of the Old Testament storyline. And he's saying, hey, by the way, the story hasn't changed. It's always been that people are counted righteous by faith. Right? So... He reminds the Galatians that it's always been by faith that man is made right before God. Faith is the, we could say, currency of the kingdom. Faith is the means, as it were, of salvation. And remember, faith is not, uh, you know, have you been on the DMV sites, uh, you know, doing whatever for your car? You know, you, you, you get to the end of that after filling all in there, and then it says, I am not a robot. All right, you got to click that thing, you know, okay, good, we can get on to the next. Or, or, or just the consent, oh, okay, you didn't uh, say yes to all the, you know, small print there. Uh, I hate those things. I'm always, like, trying to click forward, and then it sends me back. Faith is not just clicking the box. Oh, yeah, I have this idea about Jesus, you know, this Christian thing, you know, yeah, 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 I'm good with that. Faith is not even merely confessional. James will remind us of that. Faith without works is dead. dead. It ain't real faith in the first place. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. Faith is this outright surrender before God. Faith says, God, I'm going to trust you with all that I am. And even when, as we said earlier, when we take our will back, by your grace, I'm going to repent and lay myself again on the altar of sacrifice. This is biblical faith. It keeps me in that death position. It keeps me on the cross, crucified with Christ. Jesus, there is nothing in my life that you don't have authority over. Let, it just, let that just fall on you. My finances are mine. My children are mine. My dreams, my aspirations are mine. Yes, I confess Jesus. What have you done to Jesus? You've just whittled him down. Just made him a little pocket-sized Jesus who gets to now serve your purposes. You see how different that is? Paul is saying, this is foolishness. This is another gospel entirely. This little Jesus that you live by. So it's important to recognize that faith is the currency. It's that surrendering all we are. Yeah, do we do it perfectly? No. 
but it's going back again and again. Verse 11, Paul then says, no one is made right by means of the law. Why? Verse 12, keep following, keep your head in the text. Verse 12, because the law is not of faith. The law is not something I can surrender to, but something I have to live up to. It's a standard, it's not a savior. The law doesn't demand my faith, but it demands my perfect performance. It doesn't demand my belief, but it demands my perfect obedience. You see? So as Paul finishes this argument in verse 12, he quotes Leviticus 18.5. It's again, Old Testament law. He's like stepping into their shoes. Okay, let's try this thing out. And he states this, the one who does the law shall live by them. All right, so maybe your mind's in a mush now. Like, what is Paul saying? You're, all right, Paul is saying that if faith can factor in at all to this law-keeping, if it can factor in at all, it's faith in yourself to perfectly live up to this law. Which the law has already said, if you try, you're what? Cursed. <laughs> If there's any faith operating in this idea of the law, well, you're putting your faith in yourself to do the law, which we know you already can't. The law has established that. So you are cursed. The law cannot save you. It can only curse you. So if you're trusting in yourself to keep the law, you're cursed. All right, now we got to get to application. Because I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not sitting around throughout my week thinking, oh man, you know, circumcision is the way to salvation. Right? I'm not sitting there, you know, okay, oh, we got to do all this stuff. That is kind of removed from our kind of Western American mindset. But the problem is this, folks we do trust in ourselves. They were trusting in themselves to fulfill the law, to do the law. Paul said, that ain't going to work. What do we do? We create our own law. We kind of create our, our own kind of way of uh, achievements and accomplishments and control in our own wisdom, our own dreams and aspirations. Uh, we choose these particular things so that we can feel significant about ourselves. We can fulfill our sense of self-worth in this world. And all that we're doing is creating a new law thinking, oh yeah, we can fulfill these things. We can do these things. We can accomplish these things and I'll be good. So whether it's the early church or modern America, man hasn't changed. We'll recreate laws and standard by which we determine our significance. And of course, then it comes with all kinds of comparisons and justifications because what has God done but he's put a law upon our hearts. He's put a law upon our hearts. So now we're always trying to one-up the next person. Oh, at least I'm not that bad. I'm always trying to justify myself. I'm always trying to control the situations. I'm always trying to kind of let my inner lawyer do its work to say, God, well, I'm not so bad, am I? So we try to convince ourselves of our own goodness. 
on the basis of our own self-determined law and the demand that God be good with us. Isn't that the narrative of our world? Get a little self-esteem, you know, boost. You're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, right? And then we put certain things into our life thinking, okay, if I achieve this, then I'll feel good about myself. If I do that, I'll, I'll feel good. If I get this degree or, or get that job, then everything will be working out, and then I'll feel good about myself. Does that ever work? <laughs> no. The law is written on your hearts, Romans 1 says. It's going to condemn you. Even the things you think will satisfy your heart won't satisfy your heart. And your heart's going to be saying, you're not adding up. You're not adding up. You're not adding up. So to be clear, whether we're going back to Old Testament law or recreating some law to fit our own kind of ideal for life, it all ends in a curse. And let me just say it this way. The curse is God's curse. It's his perfect and holy standard that we have fallen short of. It's not some small kind of whittled down American standard of our own making. It's his perfect glory that we have fallen short of. Romans 3.23, right? Therefore, it's his curse upon man. Man is cursed in the sense that he stands under the weight of an eternal punishment. That doesn't go over well with our culture. By the way, it doesn't go over well within the church either. We have so whittled down Jesus to this kind of, uh, again, individual I can just kind of manipulate, manage, fit in my pocket so he can never actually say, Dan, you're wrong. But the curse is God's curse. And man is cursed in the sense that he stands under the weight of an eternal punishment, of an eternal separation from God. It's God's perfect standard of glory deserving of nothing less than an everlasting consequence. It's the curse. Now folks, if we miss the devastating reality of the curse, will miss the glory of the cross. If you miss the devastating reality of this curse, that you have fallen short, no law can make you righteous, it's only going to condemn you, you're only going to see in greater measure that you are guilty of an eternal punishment. What we typically call hell. If you miss that devastating reality, you will miss the glory of the cross. If, if we are so given, if I could say it this way, to kind of the stale standards of self, if we're always at liberty, if you, if you will, to like move the goalposts of morality, to smooth over our condemning conscience, you'll miss the glory of the cross. But Paul doesn't miss it. So look at verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Do you notice? <laughs> it was my curse. Right? It was my eternal consequence. It was justice for my imperfect life laid upon the perfect Son of glory. Christ became a curse for me, for you, that is, he stood in my place, bearing in himself my curse, my infinite cost 
born in the infinite Christ. It could only be accomplished in Christ. It's the God-man. You say, I don't care for this theology stuff. Oh, you better care. You better care. You got a small Jesus otherwise. It's this Jesus who is 100% God and 100% man. That he might stand in my place as the perfect man that I am not, but that he might satisfy in himself my infinite punishment as only an infinite God could. He had to be 100% man and 100% God to satisfy the curse for me, in other words. No other man can do it. Even a perfect man would have to bear my curse forever, but a perfect man who is also infinite God can bear in himself my eternal punishment and, oh, declare, it is finished. That's what he has done. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect redeemer. That is the one who alone, who, who could pay the price of my curse. How did he do it? Well, verse 13, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. Paul is quoting that Old Testament law, again, from Deuteronomy 21. And, and it refers to what would happen to a condemned criminal. It refers to the public display for all to see so that they would be warned as well not to break the law, cursed is the one who hangs on the tree, but with Christ, so to speak, the tables were turned. He was the righteous one, the perfect man hung upon the tree, while all who looked at him were accursed. All who drove the nails in him were accursed. He was the innocent one being crucified by the cursed ones, but this was the Father's perfect that his perfect son would be made a curse for us upon the cross of Calvary. In perfect innocence, he'd be crucified, not for his sins, but for ours. He was made a curse for us upon that tree. Also that verse 14, <laughs> So that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of not the curse of the law, you notice? So that the blessing of Abraham, Jesus did all of this, so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive, oh, the promised spirit through faith. <laughs> You know what the Spirit brings to the life of the Christian, right? The power of God's presence and the love of the Father. Just as Paul had made argument for earlier. Oh, it's by faith in this big Jesus. Don't come to a bargaining table with Jesus. No, come to that altar. Give all you are for all he is. And by faith, receive the blessing of the Spirit. Who inevitably, you get to live your life, not as someone on their own, as kind of like... Oh, I'm a child, but I live as an orphan. No, no, no. He's with you always. His presence availed to you always. That's what was accomplished in the blood of Christ. You now are a child of God, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. You get the presence of God. You get the presence. Oh, for the God-given grace to be aware of it. Don't go through this week. Just doing your thing. 
just like rushing through your schedule. I know that's a temptation. All the anxieties, got to do, got to go, got to... You don't have even the, the awareness to say, Father, Spirit of God, go with me. And he says, yes and amen. I'm going with you. The price has been paid. You don't need to live like an orphan. Dad's going with you. Oh, to know the power of the Spirit and the love of the Father on a daily basis. Because Christ, the big Christ, has reversed the big curse. This is what he's done. It's the glory of the gospel to review. I'm cursed, (laughs) deserving of everlasting punishment because I have fallen short of the glory of God. I will be judged not by the standard that I place upon myself, not by the standard that the world places upon me. I will be judged by the law of God himself. And that law says, Dan is accursed. Dan has fallen short of the glory of God. Dan is worthy of an eternal punishment. But it's this God who has such high standards who reaches down to the lowest place of my cursed condition and he bears in himself my punishment so that I might by faith freely you hear it? (laughs) Freely freely, freely be made righteous with this holy God. Only, again, a big Jesus can reverse that big curse. Don't minimize your Jesus. Don't domesticate the lion of the tribe of Judah. Some of you got little, you know, socks running around in your... You've made Jesus just a little kitty cat prancing around your room adding a little companionship to your life when it's the lion who's on your side. Right? Don't domesticate him. Don't de-God him. Don't whittle him down to just fit in your pocket so you can manage him. Look, these moments then that we gather together as the church, I'll just say it again, these are nothing without him. And we come having boiled him down to just this small, thinking that coming to church, okay, well, we resort to a powerless Christianity just like Satan wants us. We resort to this, I'm going to carry my wounds and never know the love of the Father, the one who heals it all. So the church remains powerless and wounded. What a testimony to a broken world, eh? But when we let Jesus be the big Jesus that he is, power comes, healing comes. We can gather together, (laughs) and you're great to be with, but you're so much better to be with when Jesus is in the center of it. Right? When he gets full sway on our gatherings.
Let's not domesticate him. Let's let the big Jesus be the big Jesus for us. Let's pray together. So even now, Lord, we, um, I see back even on this past week in my own life, and it's just so easy to minimize him. So easy to just uh, reduce him down to that minimal Jesus who only has the meow rather than the roar. And so, Lord, we come to you repenting. Come to you repenting. Casting ourselves fresh upon the altar. Just saying, Lord, have, have all of us. <laughs> For the moments when we <laughs> went into the uh, fingerprint print place, you know, the hub. And there you give just a prophetic word for the ladies that are working there, and I just shut my mouth, and I just got to get my stuff done because I got to get on to the next things rather than slowing down to let you have sway for the power of the pre- uh, presence of the Spirit to just have, have sway upon that moment. Lord, we take those moments and bring them to you and just say, yeah, keep not your Holy Spirit from us. Jesus, be big, be big, be big. So that throughout even this next week, we respond with faith. (laughs) Respond with faith, because the roar of the lion stands behind us. It stands with us. The love of the Father is in us, working through us. And oh, there's there's a broken world that needs to know it, needs to know it. So Jesus, uh, we repent, but Lord, I also pray, I pray for the men in particular, pray for the men in here, for the men online, Uh, Lord, we carry so many insecurities as men, so many insecurities, and now those insecurities oftentimes reveal themselves in in anger, in all kinds of manipulation, uh, in trying to achieve things you've never called us to achieve, in isolating ourselves from one another at times because we're just so tired of fighting. Lord, I pray your blessing upon the men of this church. Lord, you're big enough. You're big. You're big enough for us to lay upon that altar our insecurities. The struggles of our past, the struggles of our own relationships, to our own dads. You are the father to the fatherless. So Spirit of God, I just pray. Lord, I pray uh, you're so good to just kind of break down our our fortifications, our our defenses. To you, it's just a house of cards. (laughs) So blow it down. Blow it down. 
Holy Spirit, would you invade the insecure places of our hearts? Oh, unlodge them from our own hands that we might be able to place them upon that altar to find the true freedom that you alone can bring, Lord, that you alone can bring. Lord, let it be within our own souls that we hear the lion roar, that we hear the love of the Father just kind of melt upon our hearts, Lord. Would it be something of renewing power? It's only you can do it, Lord. We can, I could sit in the back room, James and I, we could have counseling session after counseling session. We could talk, 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 talk it out, and nothing happened. You have to invade the moment, Lord. You have to invade the moment. So we humble ourselves before you and ask, Lord, move in mighty ways, we pray. In Jesus' name. Oh. Jesus. 